Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast with Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Pastor Bob conducts personal interviews with Christian influencers from around the globe, helping Christian authors, recording artists, CEOs, entrepreneurs, nonprofit leaders, and yes, pastors and ministry leaders to get the word out about what they are doing to impact the world with the gospel. Our podcast has been rated in the top one half percent of all podcasts in the world by ListenNotes.com, so you know your message will be heard. Now, here is your host with today's interview, Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Hello, everyone, everywhere. Pastor Robert Thibodeau here. Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads podcast today. We're so blessed that you're joining us. You know, for those that know me, and now for those that don't know me as well, I'm a history buff. I have been since middle school. I just love history. I watch history shows on TV and read history books, especially World War II history, but that's because of my military background. But second to that is the Founding Fathers in the Revolutionary War. Now, one of my favorite all-time Founding Fathers is, of course, George Washington. Why? For one, we share the same birthday, February 22nd, praise God. You know, back in my day when I was going to school, federal holidays were celebrated on the actual day they occurred. You know, it didn't matter if it was a weekend or in the middle of the week. This meant that on my birthday, we had a day off from school. Needless to say, my friends loved it when I was about to have a birthday. Amen. I mean, we'd already celebrated Christmas and had those two weeks off and go back to school after New Year's Day. About seven weeks later, about halfway to spring break, that was my birthday. So we got another break. Amen. And the entire class would celebrate with me. In fact, if you compare the integrity, virtues, and leadership ability of almost any president since Washington, you'd find, well, most of them lacking, I guess you could say in some sense, especially in this day and time. Now, don't get me started down that path. Amen. Now, why am I talking about history and George Washington today? I'm so glad you asked. Our guest today is Richard Raines, author of an absolutely great book titled Finding Washington, Why America Needs to Rediscover the Virtues of Her Most Essential Founding Father. Let's just say this book should be a must read for every presidential candidate considered running for office today. Amen. Richard's not only an author, he's a professor of Christian history and Christian theology, a former CEO and former elected official, but we won't hold that against him today. Uh, help me welcome to the program, Richard Rays. Richard, thank you for taking the time or your schedule to join us today. I do appreciate it. Pastor Bob, thank you so much for having me. And uh, you said something that reminded me of a meme that my 16-year-old son sent me when you said you enjoy World War II history. Uh, and the meme said that when a man turns 50 years old, he has two choices to either get really into World War II history or learn how to smoke meat. So congratulations. I do both. Praise the Lord. I do too. <laughs> <laughs> Usually I'll smoke the meat while I'm reading the book. There you go. You, you go check it about every 45 minutes or so. But, uh, amen, amen. Well, first question, other than that brief information I just shared, can you tell us in your own words, who is Richard Raines? Yeah, so um, a husband. Um, I am fortunate enough to be married to a woman that has a horrible taste in men. That's worked out for me pretty well over the years. That uh, um, she's a ten and I'm a four, and uh, so I married a ten that's into fours. So I, I'll take that as a, <laughs> a blessing from the Lord for sure. And we have five kids. Uh, the oldest is twenty three, 
and the youngest is 16. My 18-year-old is joining the Navy. Uh, we're expecting him to ship out uh, within the next couple of weeks, hopefully. So I uh, live in Northeast Florida. Um, I uh, work full-time in healthcare. Um, I'm not allowed to say who I work for, but I work for a large pharmaceutical company and spend all day with cardiologists and doctors. But uh, in my free time, I teach. Um, I've got a master's degree in the history of Christianity and another master's degree in Christian theology. I'm working on my PhD. And so I teach as an adjunct for a couple of different schools. I teach world religions to uh, state college students, secular students um, in a, a school here close by. And I teach uh, theology and Christian history classes to uh, to students who are preparing for ministry, um, a Bible school in in New York. And so, when I'm not teaching or preparing to teach or uh, trying to write a book, um, I tell people all the time that my favorite activities are hunting and preparing to hunt. So I'm a big hunter. Love to hunt. Uh, love to go fishing with my wife and my father in law. He's got a boat, and so um, like to stay outdoors when I can. Um, but that sort of that sort of sums me up. If I'm not trying to keep my kids from making bad decisions, I'm trying to hunt or write or teach. That's a pretty busy schedule. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. Well, you know, everyone thinks of George Washington as this you know super patriot, but from what I remember, he was actually an officer in the British Army first, right? Sort of, almost. So he was actually an officer in the Virginia militia. Okay. And so uh, he was technically not an officer in the the English army. Uh, the, the English aristocracy, which included generals, looked down on the colonists significantly as uncouth, as rough. And they weren't wrong for the most part, right? That's, that's sort of a dynamic that is, is, has existed as part of sort of the ethos of what it means to be an American, at least until we started to require safe spaces for words. But prior to that, uh, you know, that was a good representation of this American ideal. And so technically he wasn't an officer, unless you want to say that he was he was a a junior officer during the French and Indian War. Uh, He was in the Virginia militia. Yeah. Okay. And and one of the reasons he was upset with the British a little bit was because he was refused a promotion because he was a colonist, right? Certainly, that was part of it. Um, but Washington's story is is so interesting and so intriguing, and there's so many aspects of, of his story that you can really see. He sensed it for sure, but you can really see this this divine guidance that led him to where where he was, but he came to believe, even though he was um, upset that he didn't get the the promotions that he deserved, um, he came uh, to believe, and he was one of the first. Uh, Thomas Jefferson might have been the very first, or Sam Adams might have been the very first to really be vocal about our need to break with <clears throat> England. But Washington came to believe that. Americans, that people had a divine right to rule themselves. And Pastor Bob, it, um, I, I say this a lot to people so that people understand, people that don't like history or don't really aren't really into history so they understand the, the, the global dynamic that existed uh, in the Enlightenment in, in the 1700s. You had in, in Europe, 
the the way that countries ran, the, the way they existed was you had a sovereign king or queen that ruled by divine right. So anything that that king or queen did uh, within their political boundaries, they in every way considered their activity and their role to exist as as a as a divine role. God has placed kings and queens over humans to reign as sovereigns. And so you you take a ship across the pond to the 13 colonies and in 1776 you had a group of some of in my opinion and I'm not saying this because they were you know they were future Americans but in almost every way this group of people that gathered together to start thinking about breaking away with England in in direct contrast to how the world ran the the framers of the Declaration of Independence sat down and in direct contrast said, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that we have been endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights. This was the really the, the first time a political document had been um, set forth against a sovereign to declare you rule by divine right, but we're telling you that the divine right exists for the individual rule. And so in almost every way, Pastor Bob, this was not just a competing political ideology. This was competing theology. And so Washington was fully on board with with the this notion that humans have a have a divine right from God to self-rule. And so Amen. he may have started with um, maybe some hurt feelings about him not getting what he thought he deserved. But by the time the first shots were fired at Bunker Hill, Washington was on board with uh, the yeah. divine right of individuals. Amen. Amen. And, and he wasn't always a success, though, as military leader. His first major command under the British resulted in a complete surrender, right? It did at Fort Necessity. Um, so first of all, the, the French and Indian War was a war between Great Britain and France and the Native Americans in the Ohio Valley, which was really the Western frontier of the colonies, uh, they were allies with the French. So the French and Indian War is what history calls that war. Washington was responsible for starting that, but he was given um, a command of Fort Necessity. And uh, through poor planning and through arrogance, not really understanding his enemy, uh, over a third of his men died, all of his horses died, all the cattle died. Uh, and he was given an opportunity to surrender uh, in the rain, and he took the opportunity and um, got his men out of Fort Necessity. And the interesting thing about that failure, and I write about it in the book, because what I do in the book, Pastor Bob, is I share stories from George Washington's life, and I highlight virtues that he displayed in these moments. And then I make an argument for why we need a revival of those virtues in our culture. Amen. And hopefully we can talk about that more as the interview goes. But I do write about failure because I think what we need to do in our culture is we need to start viewing failure a little differently. Um, failure is how we grow and we sure. typically fail forward. And so when we look at George Washington's life, he gives us really a model on how to fail. He learned from his failure. And did you know that at Fort Necessity, his surrender to the French at Fort Necessity, was the last time in his military career he would ever surrender his troops. And he Amen. learned from that 
And so uh, you're right about that. But it was a it was a the, a third of his men uh, left widows and orphans at home because of his mistake. Yeah. So, you know, we tend to think of military failures just lightly, like, oh, they lost this battle or this many men or this many people died. But for George Washington, a third of his men didn't go home and his wives and those men's wives and children uh, suffered Man. because of Washington's mistake. How do you think that battle shaped his strategic planning as he moved forward into the Revolutionary War? Great question. Uh, so number one, um, he learned from the French and Indians that you don't have to fight fair. And what I mean by that is in the 1700s, yeah. um, if you've ever seen the movie The Patriot, that's a great example. Uh, if you remember when uh, Heath Ledger and um, who was the main character? Uh, Mel Gibson. Uh, yeah. They were in a house looking down on the battlefield where uh, the colonists and the British were just meeting in an open field and shooting at each other. That was the way Europeans did war. Um, but uh, what Washington learned was when he engaged the French and the Indians at Fort Necessity, they didn't fight fair. Uh, they fought from behind trees and rocks and, and other structures, and they just decimated his force. So, first of all, Washington learned that uh, winning was more important than, quote unquote, fighting fair. He learned to always have an escape plan. If you read the history of the American Revolution, it is not a textbook example of how to win battles, but it is a textbook example for how to always have an escape route, how to get out of there. Uh, Washington spent most of the war running until the French got more involved. So he learned that. Um, he learned the value of of properly equipping and supplying his, his troops, even though he struggled with that for the entire Revolutionary War. At times, Washington was more concerned with supplying his troops than he was whatever tactical situation he found himself in. So you are absolutely right. He certainly learned uh, uh, moving forward how to fight battles based on that failure. He, you mentioned he always had an escape plan, but he almost made a huge mistake in trying to defend Staten Island in New York. I mean, the escape plan, escape plan he had other than the divine intervention, uh, it was not there, right? Oh, for sure. I would, you know, I would point to more examples than not of this seemingly divine intervention. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. e even crossing the Delaware on Christmas night mm -hmm. uh, and and taking Trenton only happened, in my opinion, as a result of divine intervention, because a spy discovered what Washington was doing, went to Trenton, tried to meet with the Hessian commander. Hessians were Germans that were fighting for the English. So when you see that term in Revolutionary War history, a Hessian is a German soldier fighting, uh, almost a contract soldier, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, so a spy tried to get to the Hessian commander. Hessian commander wouldn't see him because he was uh, at a Christmas party. Um, so the spy wrote a note, gave it to the host of the party. Host of the party gave it to the Hessian commander who stuck it in his jacket. And after the Battle of Trenton, they found that commander dead with that note in his pocket. Mm. 
Mm. So Washington Man. would not have won that battle if it hadn't been for really what to me and probably to you and a lot of uh, your listeners would be divine intervention. Mm-hmm. I guess some people think of blind luck, but um, it, I don't really see it as much as luck. And I don't think Washington did either, but you're right. Yeah. Um, there were several of those moments in Washington's life. Yeah. And I know at Staten Island, you know, he was backing up and they were like, how are we going to cross this river? He said, get all the flatboats, the skiffs, anything you can find. And even that, was running my time until God blew in this fog. Mm-hmm. And he said, we can't see men six meters away so or six yards away. So, you know, this is great. And he, as soon as he got out of musket range and stuff, the fog started. Fog lifted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, so the same thing happened at Dunkirk um, yeah. in uh, World War yeah, One. That's right. Uh, so it was a very similar case. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, just not to jump ahead of the story, but the surrender of Cornwallis, you know, a huge storm came in and prevented the British Navy from landing and reinforcements, you know. That's right. And, uh, and yeah. ended up in the surrender. Amen. But we're talking right now with Richard Rain, author of an absolutely fabulous book, Finding Washington, Why America Needs to Rediscover the Virtues of Our Most Essential Founding Father. Now, Richard, Washington was involved in another major battle that very next year. Tell us about the battle of, and I'm, trying to pronounce this Indian word correctly, Mano Ganhalia. Is that right? You almost got it. Close. Okay. Um, if close counts in horseshoes, hand grenades, and that, you got close right. enough. So Manongahela is how I pronounce it. And okay. I'm probably butchering it as well. Um, and so this was during the French and Indian War. This was not during the Revolutionary War, but this was after his failure at Fort Necessity. And so the the um, the virtue that I highlight in in this story is servant leadership. Uh, Washington understood servant leadership. So he fails at Fort Necessity. The the English send over General Braddock and troops to fight the French in the Ohio River Valley. When now, General let me just Braddock interrupt you gets, right there because that was a major campaign. I mean, this is, oh, okay, we're going to send this general over to fight these guys. No, this was like uh, D-Day type thing. That's right. You're exactly right. It was a full-on um it was a it was a full on uh, offensive yeah. push by the English to end it quickly, right? Yeah. So you've got Washington, who who is the commanding officer for the militia when the English arrive, and uh, we've already discovered we already discussed that the English looked down on the the colonists, particularly the militia officers. So Washington is trying to advise Braddock. He's trying to say to General Braddock, "Okay, there's a couple of things here. Number one." Please don't march those red coats through the woods. You're going to get everyone killed. And so Braddock says, you know what? Thanks, but no thanks. I've got this. You've already shown that you're not worthy of any leadership. So you don't have a role here at all. So he he made Washington and Washington an aide de camp. That's that's a very fancy word for you're my helper. Yeah. So Washington being a colonel in the Virginia militia, accustomed to leading troops was stuck in the back on a horse next to General Braddock to uh, get things for him or carry his his satchel and things like that. <clears throat> and so they get to the area uh, near the Monongahela River. They're clearing a path. And just like Washington told Braddock, the French and the Indians attack and start killing redcoats. And so the English, right, they, they think that a battle should happen in an open field right? Uh, they discovered that everything Washington said was going to happen actually happened. 
they run for their lives and uh, Braddock is shot almost immediately. And so Washington, in the heat of that battle, gets off of his horse. He gets General Braddock to safe safety. You've got bullets flying everywhere. You've got redcoats that are running away. You've got the, the French and the Indians that are advancing. And Washington is tending to General Braddock's wound. Uh, General Braddock looks around. He doesn't see any British officers at all. He, he sees his troops running. And he says to Washington, who is the closest thing to an officer that he has, he says to Washington, I need for you to get on a horse and I need for you to mount a, a, a counterattack. So Washington gets on a horse and for 12 hours, he fights from a horse at Monongahela. He organizes a counterattack. The English push the French and the Indians back. During that 12 hours, Pastor Bob, when at the end of the day, uh, Washington has had two horses shot out from under him. He's on his third horse. When he takes his coat off that evening, he's got four bullet holes in his coat, but not a scratch on him. Now, remember, Washington is six foot two. The average height of a European male in the early 1700s was five foot eight. So you do the math. He's, you know, uh, six inches or so taller than everyone else. You put him on a horse. He's the tallest thing in the woods. Everyone is shooting at George Washington. No one's hitting George Washington. And so um, he, the, the virtue that I highlight in that moment is that Washington knew exactly what was going to happen. He knew kind of where the French and the Indians were going to attack. He knew how they were going to attack. And he knew that redcoats were going to die. He knew that there were going to be English men that left widows and orphans back in England. And he tries to convince Braddock, okay, you need to, this is what you need to do. When he was put in his place and he was made an aide de camp, I say this in the book, that Washington was the aide de camp of the century. Because even though he had military prowess and even though he had leadership ability, he was told, assist Braddock. And he assisted Braddock. He did not leave Braddock's side until Braddock said, go and do something differently. And so one of the things I highlight there is, is Washington understood servant leadership. He understood that even though that he maybe thought he knew better than the leader, he was subservient to someone else and he played his role until he had an opportunity to, to show himself in a different light. And so uh, he highlight, I, I highlight servant leadership and how we need to revive servant leadership in our culture. Certainly as Christians, we understand the concept of servant leadership. Uh, Pastor Bob, I, I do think that to some extent, and I don't talk about this in the book as much. Um, I, I wrote this book. I, I really, it was tough for me. Do I write a book specifically for a Christian audience or do I write a book for Americans in general and try to integrate faith? And so that's what I did, Amen. which means it's not written for people who have confessed with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus is Lord, right? This is for, so I highlight these virtues. I talk about Washington's faith, I intermingle my faith, but, um, but we understand servant leadership because Jesus was the ultimate servant leader, right? And that's, Amen. we, you know, yep. through the, Amen. through the ministry of the, uh, of the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we are servant leaders. But I highlight how we need to revive that in our culture and stop being so narcissistic and and those things. But that was a certainly a, a highlight for Washington and a highlight for me studying Washington's life. Amen. Yeah. Something else I remember about that after the battle, 
and Braddock had died and you know, Braddock's last quote unquote dying wish was for Washington to be in charge of us, of burying him. And the British had built a road through the wilderness uh, to expedite the transfer of supplies. Cause I, I believe Braddock had left the support, the artillery and all that stuff behind. So they could push farther ahead faster. And, you know, that was one of the things that, you know, the road was for is to facilitate the transfer transport of all that goods. But Washington had him buried in the middle of the road and then had all the wagons and all that run over his grave to camouflage the grave. And it was so effective. They didn't find it to like when they were building an actual road, <laughs> when they found the grave, they do, they knew he was somewhere in the area. They hadn't any clue that it was under the road. Right. One of the things I, I observe in the book, and it's, I think it's one sentence, but it, it certainly doesn't reflect how often I've thought about it. You know, when Braddock landed on the shores of, of the colonies, met Washington, he had such disdain for Washington, had no respect and no regard. And when the battle at Monongahela started, you know, he was shot almost immediately. Might have been one of the first people to be shot because they targeted officers, right? Um, and so, Which in, in the European theater, you didn't do. That's right. They didn't play fair. That's, that's the whole point, right? They don't play fair. And so, um, so I say in, in the book, and I forget how I say it exactly. Um, you've written books. It's hard to remember everything you've written. So you have to, I actually went back and read the books so that I would remember what I said. Right. So, um, but I bet you a nickel that whatever Braddock thought about Washington, watching Washington fight from that horse, watching Washington with zero regard for his own safety. And there's more, much, much more to that story yeah. than I'm telling, but I want to make sure that we have time to talk about everything. Um, I bet Braddock drew his last breath with a different opinion of George Washington than the opinion he had when he first met him. Amen. And like you said, he asked Washington to, to, to bury him. And so, um, yeah, you're right about that. Yeah. Amen. Hey folks, Pastor Bob here, and we've run out of time for this extremely interesting discussion with Richard Raines, author of a great book titled Finding Washington, Why America Needs to Rediscover the Virtues of Her Most Essential Founding Father. As you heard, I've always been a fan of history, and in addition to World War II history, the American Revolutionary War history, and especially fond of just about anything that has to do with the father of our nation, George Washington, since we share the same birthday. Now, I want to highly, highly recommend you purchase this book if you or someone you know is interested in history like I am. Amen? Just drop down on the show notes, click the link right there, reach out to Richard, as well if you would like to get more information on him and his books or to interview him on your podcast. Praise the Lord. But this has only been part one of what turned into a great two-part interview. So come back and join us for the conclusion of this interview in the next episode. Amen. Till next time, this passed by reminding you, be blessed in all that you do. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast so you can be notified when another episode is published. With over 800 interviews and 1,000 published episodes, Pastor Bob is known as a podcasting expert for helping others to create their own podcast to share their messages with the world. 
please visit our website at www.podcastersforchrist.com. That web address again is www.podcastersforchrist.com for more information. Until next time, be blessed in all that you do. Are you a Christian entrepreneur, coach, or author with a message that needs to be heard? Picture this, your voice reaching thousands, your story inspiring hearts, and your business flourishing like never before. Introducing Faithcasters, the ultimate platform that connects faith-driven professionals like you with the power of podcasting. Become a sought-after guest on Faith-Based Podcasts. Share your unique insights and connect with like-minded individuals who share your passion for faith and entrepreneurship as well. Imagine your expertise reaching a wider audience, expanding your network, and propelling your business to new heights. Well, it's all within reach with Faithcasters. So don't wait. Take the first step today on your journey to greatness by visiting our website at faithcaster.org. That's faithcaster.org. Join the Faithcasters community now and unleash the full potential of your faith-driven enterprise. You do not want to miss this opportunity. Faithcasters, where faith meets podcasting and your dreams become reality. Visit faithcaster.org. Let's soar together. And remember, anyone can be a podcaster, but only a Christian can become a faithcaster. Faithcasters, your voice, your platform, your success.